0: Welcome to the Stratfor podcast, focused on geopolitics and world affairs from stratfor.com. I'm your host, Ben Sheen.
1: The CME getting in on the Bitcoin action. Warnings from major market players like Jamie Dimon haven't stopped hedge funds from betting big on
2: Bitcoin. Bitcoin is now being used to buy regular things from restaurants to retail, so why not real estate? Today we're talking about the Bitcoin bubble.
0: That's right. In this episode of the podcast, we're diving into the world of blockchain, blockchain, Bitcoin and what these new technologies could really mean for companies, financial institutions and society at large going forward. For part one, we sit down with Stratforce Senior Science and Technology Analyst Rebecca Keller to better understand what Bitcoin and the underlying technology behind it called blockchain really are. And then in part two of the podcast, we're joined by Stratforce Senior Analysts Matthew Bay and Mark Fleming-Williams to learn more about how people are just starting to use blockchain and other potential applications for the future. Thanks for joining us. And here with me today, we have Stratfor's Senior Science and Technology Analyst, Rebecca Keller, to talk a little bit about blockchain. Thanks for joining us today, Rebecca. Good to be here. So before we start to talk about blockchain, this revolutionary financial technology, um, I'd like to take a step back initially. And talk a little bit about how it really came on the scene and, and blockchain for many people is kind of synonymous with, with Bitcoin, which came on the scene initially in 2009 and, and came to define the idea of cryptocurrencies for many people. But the two are kind of interlinked, but one kind of broke away from the other. Can you tell me a little bit about, about the origins of, of Bitcoin and why blockchain is such an important part of its its legacy?
1: So Bitcoin is a single application of a blockchain. So blockchain itself is the underlying technology of Bitcoin. And basically, what blockchain is, is it's a digital ledger. All that really means is there's a it's it's computer code that starts the blockchain. But what you can think of it as is almost like a virtual wallet. Now that wallet can contain a currency like Bitcoin, or it can contain information. And each person or participant in the blockchain has their own wallet and carries their own information. And then Transactions, um, either the exchange of that information, whether it's like passing a ship's manifest to the the dock or it's exchanging Bitcoin like you would traditional uh, paper money, you activate a signal to do that. That signal or that activation code is then verified not by a single entity like a bank would verify a credit card or a, a transaction, but it's verified by the entire group in a di- distributed space throughout the network. And and that's a key feature of the technology because it it institutes a level of trust in it because it's not just a single entity or a single person verifying the transaction. It's verified in, in, in groupthink almost, which, which helps prevent fraud.
0: So it's kind of hard to underestimate, isn't it, just how groundbreaking this was, because clearly you mentioned uh, some of the diverse applications for blockchain, and we're going to talk a little bit more about that later, but it certainly started off uh, specifically based on a digital currency. And certainly one of the problems we found in the past with with the idea of a digital currency is that through virtue of being electronic, uh, it can be copied ad nauseum. So the whole issue of ownership becomes very complicated. So if you transfer digital currency to somebody, Who's to say you don't simply retain the currency, you're just creating endless copies which devalues it. And blockchain really sort of was the first thing that that, that could overcome this in terms of peer-to-peer lending, right? You didn't require a third party to verify transactions.
1: Exactly. And so that timely aspect or that that security aspect where you you don't want to devalue your currency, that's actually built into the technology of blockchain. So the block comes from the fact that all the transactions are grouped together in blocks. And and what defines that block is a period of time. So all the the computers or the nodes in the network are are working to solve a mathematical equation. And, And that's called mining, and they get payments for that. And that's sort of where that phrase and that terminology is used a lot with Bitcoin. Bitcoin, But what that does is it, it it sets a set time limit and it times transactions so you're able to track them and know what happened first and what happened where. And it really keeps the system honest. And, and that, that all comes back again to trust. And that's a huge, I can't say it enough, that's a huge selling point and a huge um, attribute of this technology.
0: And I guess part of that is having uh, there's this publicly viewable ledger. So anyone can interrogate the ledger and see the transactions that have taken place, which, which, like you say, keeps everyone honest. And I guess it's important to note that, that when Bitcoin first landed, a lot of people saw Bitcoin itself as being this revolutionary technology. But actually, it, it was the blockchain behind it that really that, that really showed the promise. And we've seen uh, blockchain evolve beyond Bitcoin to, to other digital currencies or on other platforms such as Ethereum that, that have really taken this idea and then and run with it.
1: Exactly. Ethereum is running even farther into like the differentiated computing space. It's certainly another avenue of investigation on a complete tangent. But, but yeah, absolutely. Um, again, it's, it's the blockchain. It's, it's the idea that you have this group, this, this group of computing power working in, in Congress, it, it, working together to do the transactions. There's no single node where anything is ever blocked up. There's no single node that can act as sort of the stopping point.
0: And it's interesting how when you start to talk about the, these game-changing financial tools, at some point they are going to fall under the, the blanket of regulation and at some point they're going to fall into the mainstream. And we've seen there's this gradual acceptance of the blockchain technology as a legitimate um, legitimate tool in financial transactions. And in fact, we saw two banks, uh, one in Australia and one in the United States, start to use blockchain applications to complete transactions as early as uh, October 24th. 2016. How have things evolved since then? How much legitimacy does this technology really have now, Becca?
1: I mean, I think it has roughly the same legitimacy. We've seen, you know, it go back and forth. We saw China take measures to sort of remove it from circulation. um, And we've seen it in commercial transactions, you know, stores accepting Bitcoin. But there needs to be a lot more regulation and a lot more. And and this is going to become funny because I'm going to go back to the word trust But the general public doesn't trust it yet, even though the technology itself is so based on trust. It's going to take a while before we see it really, really permeate. And again, I don't know that Bitcoin will be the ultimate technology. Um, First movers rarely are, but it it really did start the movement.
0: Well, Rebecca, I look forward to hearing in the next segment some of the applications that uh, blockchain can certainly be used for and the ways in which it's going to shape the future in many respects. Thank you so much for explaining this to me today. If you'd like to learn more about our analysis on blockchain and the impact that it and other disruptive technologies could have on broader geopolitical trends, visit us at worldview.stratford.com. We'll include links to our related assessments in the show notes. And if you're not already a Worldview member, consider joining us to access all of our independent geopolitical analysis, forecasting and industry insights on the core trends driving the international system information about individual team and enterprise memberships are available at worldview.stratfor.com slash subscribe now to the second part of our podcast where stratfor senior analysts matthew bay and mark fleming williams join us to discuss innovative new applications of blockchain technology and its potential to shape the future
2: My name is Matthew Bay. I'm a senior global analyst here at Stratfor speaking from Austin, Texas. Um, Joining me today to discuss blockchain, Bitcoin, and other things that are evolving in the world of digital ledger technology are Becca Keller, who is speaking from California, and also Mark Fleming williams from London. So let's start off with Bitcoin. So Bitcoin is the thing that has started discussing digital currencies and also the blockchain and everything else that goes with it. Mark, uh, as an economic analyst, what do you think about Bitcoin and how that interacts with global currencies?
3: Uh, thank you, Matthew. Um, Bitcoin is an interesting creation. Um, it obviously has attracted a lot of attention ever since it was first, um, it first kind of launched onto the scene uh, in the immediate aftermath of the, of the financial crisis. It is a new type of asset in that it is completely um, kind of owned and completely decided by its um, well first of all by its original code and structure but also by its um, by the network um, that sur- surrounds uh, Bitcoin which is uh, largely online as an asset it's interesting and it's interesting in currency um, because a lot of a lot of the a lot of the conversations around it have involved whether it could rival traditional currencies, so um, the dollar or the or the, or the yen or, or these things, um, and the answer is that it 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 can't in a classic way, and well at least not anytime soon. And the reason being because bit- well Bitcoin itself, the way it's structured, has got its its finality written into its structure, so it's a little bit more like a like an asset than a currency or a modern currency. Uh, So it's a little bit more like a a commodity like gold um, in that the way Bitcoin is created, there will be a certain number of Bitcoins created. Um, There is a there is a limit to the number of Bitcoins that can be created, Um, unlike, for example, the dollar, which is pretty much decided, as we've as we've seen uh, with with quantitative easing. It can be the supply can be expanded if needed. And so as a result, uh, Bitcoin That's one of the aspects which mean that it's it's going to struggle to challenge the traditional currencies on on a global scale.
2: But there's also a question about control that's going on with Bitcoin. So one of the reasons that Bitcoin first emerged and why it got a lot of popularity was the fact that there was concern about around a quantitative easing for that matter and all. the central banks basically printing money endlessly which is why the coders designed bitcoin to actually have a deflationary tendency but so if the the trust factor though is if we do have an, a currency that is not controlled by a government not controlled by anything really except for kind of the coding i guess how does that actually play into the calculus on whether or not it can actually replace the dollar or replace something that's backed by a national government
3: so this is a this is a a conversation you and i have had in uh, in recent months um so the interesting thing about the fact that bitcoin is uh owned and and has its direction largely defined by uh the people who the community behind it, it makes it a, a less reliable asset uh, perhaps than something like the dollar um and the reason for that being that what we've what we've already been seeing so far this year is um perhaps that community which doesn't necessarily agree on everything um, may decide to go in different directions with, with the currency. So, um, what we've seen already this year is, is a hard fork where a part of the community decided that they wanted Bitcoin to be something different and they um, took it off, took an aspect of Bitcoin off in another direction, meaning that an investor then has a choice. Um, do you stick with Bitcoin or do you go with this new one? Um, or do you go with both? Uh, or do you go with both, absolutely. Um, although you've only got a certain amount of money, but, but yeah, or, or do you go with both? With the dollar, for example, with a with a currency, instead of being backed by the decisions, instead of all the decisions being made by um, all of all of the Bitcoin community, the decisions largely being made, well, are being made by the U.S. government um, and the U.S. Federal Reserve. And so, what that means is, when you're buying the dollar, you are buying. You're buying the U.S. basically you're buying into the into the belief that that government will continue to control that area and will continue to issue this currency and will con- con- continue to regulate it. When you've got uh, a Bitcoin, a, a, a cryptocurrency which is owned and decided by its by this community who who whose faces you can't see and, and um, who you don't necessarily fully know their motives, um, there is a different level of risk attached as well. So that's another potential drawback with uh, Bitcoin compared to a a currency.
2: One of the things that actually does kind of work in its favor that's interesting to point out is that you just mentioned how, you know, not knowing your customer, that's a concern, which is legitimate. But at the same time, when we talk about the way that credit cards work or the way that debit cards work, there's always the risk of um, the person not paying it in the end or calling, you know, calling your bank account basically and saying that, hey, you know what, I didn't actually make that payment. So there's always that risk premium that's basically going into insurance type companies um, over whether or not merchants will will get their their payments. And one thing that Bitcoin does is since it actually transfers the funds immediately and you don't actually get the transaction to go through unless you actually have the funds in your account, is you get around that. So so from a merchant's perspective, it's actually a good thing because it's, it can't, it's not reversible. Um, now, yeah. from a customer's perspective, that's the opposite risk.
3: Yes, absolutely. I mean, this, this actually uh, quite neatly takes us onto... Um, so Bitcoin itself has... has has its advantages, it has its flaws. But I think what we can agree on is that um, blockchain, some of, the, some of the, un, the functioning technology underlying Bitcoin, is exciting and it has a lot of uh, potential future benefits which could go in all sorts of different directions.
2: One of the great things, though, about Bitcoin and, and the technology is that digi- it's a digital ledger, essentially. So what it is, is it takes all the transactions that we've seen throughout the the entire system that it's been around. It, it essentially is just calculating and adding up all of that so everybody can see it in a public way. That then allows to have a lot more confidence in the system and the way that things are being worked, whether or not somebody has money, whether or not um, they can actually afford to give you something and things. So that is something that then is then calculated essentially by the blockchain in a in a way that builds consensus around everybody who is on the network. So for example, if I'm calculating my own ledger you're calculating your own ledger and then you try to insert something that's 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 frivolous but everybody else agrees with me then that actually won't go into the system so so the blockchain essentially can develop consensus around something that you wouldn't necessarily get otherwise um, and then that that concept that consensus building concept of the blockchain is what's really significant it can be used to do a currency but it can also be used in a number of different applications some of which we're actually seeing in finance already so for example um, one of the things that I personally thinks has got a lot of potential is um, in the area of transactions. Uh, one of the things that we've seen is Ripple, which is set up like Bitcoin, but its 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 design isn't so much to be a currency as much as it is in order to use currencies to quickly go aclo- across international borders in a payment system. Right now, international payments are dominated by central banks. They're dominated by a few banking houses. They're dominated by SWIFT, which is the communications network that, that banks talk to internationally. And that's something that we've seen in geopolitics and have a very significant impact where the United States, for example, can say, hey, SWIFT, you have to cut off Iran from transactions. Actions. That then cuts off Iran from the international financial system. Something that's Ripple would allow basically banks to communicate with each other that the United States or other countries cannot, you know, lock down. And it also breaks the dominance that, that the few banks that that are involved in that area today um, are in. So that's one area where blockchain can then be used for something that's not Bitcoin, not a currency in its in its purest form, but the, it has a currency that underpins the system, but then you have an application that is significant in the financial sector that's well beyond just a currency.
1: So taking a step back, we've talked a lot about the financial implications for this technology, but it actually has a, has a broader view than that, um, looking at... The trust aspect is important for more than just finance. It's important in supply chains and looking at how the movement of, of physical goods as opposed to just currency or financial assets. So I think because we don't have the problem or the the constraint of the need for a government backing like you would with the currency, that we could probably see blockchain as a technology implemented more and quick more quickly in those kind of industries where it's used to track goods met that ledger part of the technology is, is the driving factor. So as we see it to increase efficiency in, in supply chain operations. And so just looking, making sure we continue to look past finance. As a sole user of this technology, that's absolutely
2: right. Richard. But another industry where we are seeing it as having a, an impact, uh, or at least research going into that, is the health sector. So, um, obviously, uh, patients' records is a big thing that, that are obviously people want to keep relatively confidential. But it is still a mechanism where we can see see that trust aspect, but also some sort of a still transparency and um, an anonymity aspect that allows then this to be a more efficient way to um, transfer health records. So there's that aspect of it. So we're starting to see it in other sectors as well, such as the computing sector. We're seeing it in the health sector. We're seeing it in the shipping sector. We're going to probably see it in agriculture. We're probably going to be seeing it more in economics beyond just finance. Um, So there are definitely a lot of other applications.
1: Basically, wherever trust and consensus are a key benefit or a key attribute of the industry, we can expect to see blockchain make its way in.
2: Yeah. And uh, another area that's not even really a sector that we're starting to see emerge is actually just in the way of doing distributed computing. So um, another one of the pilot programs that's out there is Ethereum. So Ethereum was essentially designed to have a distributed computing network that is along you know five or six thousand different computers or however many is connected to the internet and that is able to then run programs or run able to run different sort of you know classical programs whether it be something that's in the finance sector whether whatever application that a company or a person that's on the system wants to be used and then it uses blockchain to distribute that power processing power throughout the system and then that one computer or a network of computers would then perform that code and essentially you would be paying whatever whatever currency that is underpinning the system, in this case it's Aether, to do something. So this actually gives you a distributed computer that nobody can shut down that can be always running, always on, and then running all kinds of different codes That it's really in a different way than we see computing being done now. Um, this obviously will have the implications for the finance sector if you want to use it to, to run programs for smart contracts. So that's going to be contracts that automatically go into force whenever something happens or are or, or much more complicated than that, obviously. That's just the simplest version, I guess. Um, but then also just if you think about just running programs in general, whether that be nefarious reasons or, or positive reasons, you still have that system work. So that's another application that takes away from just, you know, the idea of Ledger and having uh, counting things and then just broadening out to a way that you just distribute information to begin with.
0: That's it for this episode of the Stratfall podcast. For more analysis on blockchain, Bitcoin and other disruptive technologies, please visit us at Stratfall Worldview. We'll include links to related reading in the show notes. And if you're not already a Stratfor Worldview member, be sure to visit us at worldview.stratfor.com slash subscribe to learn more about individual, team and enterprise level access. Worldview members can continue this conversation in our members only forum. That's where you can engage directly with other readers as well as Stratfor analysts, editors and contributors. If you have a comment or an idea for a future episode of the podcast, email us at podcast at or give us a call on one 512 extension 3917 to leave a message. If you have a moment, also consider leaving us a review on iTunes or wherever you subscribe to the podcast. We really appreciate your feedback. And for more geopolitical intelligence, analysis and forecasting that brings global events into valuable perspective, follow us on Twitter at Strat4. Thanks for listening.